Well, good afternoon. How's everyone today? That sounds like a mixed chorus there, but we'll take it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get some rain this week. What do you think? It's dry out there. It really is dry. We do. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8, which uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that uh, we're going to finish Romans chapter 8, and then you all said amen, right? <laughs> but at any rate, um, I hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as I have, and going through looking at life in the Spirit, ultimately, the chapter 8 is literally all about that, and the guarantees, and the strength, and all of the, I would just say, all of the blessings that literally are wrapped up in the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, as I've said already, and... Uh, I think we'll, get, we'll again read, begin reading at verse 26 through the end of the chapter. Uh, Romans chapter 8, beginning now at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for, what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yes, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sakes we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, again, we thank you for your word, and especially this passage, Father, which is so enriching and so filled with blessing to those that know you. By that, we mean those that love you, those that have been part of your purpose from the very beginning, somewhere between from foreknowledge to glorification. No one is lost in that transition. Father, thank you for being so strong and so omnipotent and so sovereign that you have need of nothing or anyone 
Your plans cannot be thwarted, and we are held safe in the arms of love. Father, we will ask that these moments now before us would be a time that would be refreshing to us as we get a clearer glimpse of how great you are. And Father, as a result of that, we would ask that you would receive the blessing. And Father, we're excited for these moments because we know through the power of the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit that literally indwells those that have accepted Christ, that we continue to see you more clearly. And Father, as the days continue forward, the days towards glorification, the time when your plan is ultimately fulfilled and we are conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, which has been your complete and full focus, we would ask that now we would be yours more completely than we've ever been. We would ask that you would teach us exclusively through the Holy Spirit, using the Word of God, and that, Father, again, we would be open and receptive. We look with anticipation to what you will accomplish, for only you are worthy of our praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Romans chapter 8, it's been a long journey. All right, it's maybe seemed that way to you. It hasn't been a lot of verses, but we've looked at it in a lot of, uh, an awful lot of things, and it really started from verse 1. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, literally, the position of, that you have when you're in Christ changes everything. Everything has changed when you're in Christ. As we've come now to, I guess, essentially from... Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it's maybe the last section of our bringing this together. And we looked at the sense of invincibility. That was a word that uh, we've used in the last several weeks, to be invincible. Um, almost that's hard for us to comprehend, to truly be, without question, invincible. How many of you felt invincible this week? Uh, just for the record, no one has raised their hand. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you that in Christ, you truly are invincible. And one of the things is, is that the only thing that we can see is through the lens of this life that we're engaged in, this physical life. But literally, when you look at it from God's perspective, not only from where he sees it, but we unfolds for us in the scriptures, that's what chapter 8 is all about. With the Holy Spirit living within us, all of a sudden, it's not just through the lenses of physical life. It's through the lens of full, eternal life. And there's nothing, literally, that can thwart, steal, or detour God's plan, and that means you, being in his plan, are invincible. And you look like you didn't get any of that, but you're, as you're soaking in that, and you're, and you're just, because you know what, it doesn't seem like we're invincible, does it? It doesn't seem like we're even close to being, barely making it. Look at our world today, it's just completely flopped upside down, isn't it? Things that I've been at, I think maybe it was the truth seekers, I had asked them, I said, if any one of us could have predicted on January 1st, because that's the time we try to, uh, what, what do we call those things? We call them resolutions. resolutions, exactly. We have those New Year's resolutions. How long do they last? Usually not very long. But even at that time, it's a time of reflection. We sometimes look backwards, but there's also the thought of what's in the future for us. No one that I've met so far has had any idea of being able to not reflect, but to look forward and say what would have unfolded. In any shape of... I, I, there's no way would there would have been. But I'm here to say it doesn't matter. In fact, at the very last couple of verses, it does, does not matter where we're at, 
what was behind us, or even what's ahead of us. We are invincible. That's amazing, isn't it? But it's not based on us. It's based upon what God has promised and what God literally has given to us because we're in Christ. Well, in the sense of invincibility, there was there's several ways that we looked at it. The first was to the extent of invincibility. And that was in chapter 8 and verse 28 of Romans. It, all things work together for good. And we looked at good things. We looked at bad things. We looked at in-between things. Well, actually, we didn't because there isn't anything in-between, is there? All of those things, literally, God can use synergistically to essentially make all things good in the sense of complete eternity. eternity. I'm so glad that he has that power to do that. Now, not everything that happens to you is good, which you're very well aware of. But he's able to take all of those things and make you invincible through them. And praise God for that. And then we looked at next week at the sense of the recipients of invincibility, who literally can receive invincibility, if you will. And the next phase in chapter 8, verse 28 was this. Uh, all things work together for the good of those that love God. And we spent some time there. What is loving God? Well, we love things that God loves, and we hate the things that God hates, and we just can't hardly stay away from Him. That's, the, that's a picture, a description of loving God. That's who is invincible, those that have accepted Christ. Literally, too, uh, something that happens that we spent most of this study that we've been spending on the last number of months is about the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What know you not that you are not your own? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think of that. Uh, you know, as you can't even, I can't even imagine how blessed we are to know that. Think of David and think of the Old Testament saints. They had to travel somewhere to go to worship God. In fact, Abram was asked to go to Mount Moriah and worship by sacrificing his son. It was a three-day journey. Literally, God lives within us if we've accepted Christ. Do you see how blessed we really are? It's amazing, isn't it? And then to think that Jesus Christ conquered everything, and when I'm saying everything, all of the things that sin brought to our planet, all that Adam and Eve failed in, and we can blame them, but it would be the same for us. It would be the same for us. We would have, we would have done the same thing. But to have conquered and to cast all of those things. John the Baptist, the first time he saw Jesus Christ, said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. What an outrageous statement to think of that. And yet, that's literally what conquered all of the things that we can say today. We are invincible because of what Jesus did. So not did we look at the extent of invincibility. We looked at the recipients of invincibility. Then we looked at the components of invincibility. We looked at that uh, maybe the week before last and then finished on that aspect of it uh, last week. The components of invincibility, literally, if you're going to take God's plan in five words, I had them up here last week. I'll just, I'll just, just imagine I'm going to write them down, okay? That's what you do every week because you can't read what I write anyway. So literally in five words, God's plan is completely laid out. In fact, let's read the verse. That's even better. In verse of chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and verses 29 and 30 lay out for us, literally, his purpose. He starts in verse 29, for whom he did foreknow. That's where it starts. God's plan is in the sense of foreknowledge. There's nothing that he could possibly know that he doesn't know because there's nothing to know that he doesn't know. Think of it. You can't even grasp that, can you? 
I mean, it, the, inf the, the infinity of his mind is beyond our wildest comprehension at the same time. But in that, all of that stuff that he knows, nothing that could not be known, he knows. There's nothing to know that he doesn't know. It's all known. Oh, that's enough, Larry. Stop. Okay, that's okay. But the idea is, is that's where it's rooted. Right there is the beginning of God's plan. In all that he is, the very essence of his foreknowledge, and it goes on to say, that, whoops, where did I? I lost my place. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, we talked about this last week in quite a bit of time. Uh, God did not save you to go to heaven. That was not his first and foremost reason to save you. If you're in Christ here today, you can be excited to know that part of being in heaven and the glorification is yours because of the whole deal. But literally that verse right there, that's one you need to know. You need to know these two verses because this unfolds God's plan. It unpacks it. And it also tells us his whole purpose for saving us, for sending Jesus Christ to this earth to save us from our sins was literally to conform us to the image of his son. He wants men and women to become like Jesus Christ. Think of that. How would have that worked out without Jesus Christ? What if Adam and Eve and that sin continued on? What would have happened? Oh, by now, goodness, well, we had a flood already, haven't we? Exactly. That was what God planned. That was what he planned. But, and he, he had decided beforehand, that word predestinate, is to, to beforehand choose. Let, let's go to, uh, this is some of review of last week, certainly, but turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and let's look at this for a moment. Ephesians chapter 1, out of God's foreknowledge, we'll start in verse 4, verse 4, chapter 1 of Ephesians. Ephesians is such a, you know, if I was going to ask you just as an aside right now, um, tell me what Ephesians is, I, literally, I think of it in two words, and it's all about, the book of Ephesians is just a, a more in-depth of discussion and unfolding everything that we are, two words, in Christ. That's what Ephesians is all about. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, actually start in verse 3. I can't, I can't not read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Oh, my goodness. That's how he starts out. According, this is why, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That's exactly what that would mean, is the fact that before he made anything, he had already predetermined that we would be in Christ to be saved. That's amazing to me. Again, uh, we talked about this quite, at, quite at, at a lot of length last week in, this, in respect. God, knowing all things, knew that Adam and Eve on that day, just, just like another day, wouldn't it have been? Remember what happened the day before? They walked with God in the afternoon. What would you do yesterday afternoon, honey? Well, don't you remember? We took a walk with God. I would love to have a walk with God. Now, you know what? In God's plan from his foreknowledge, and it ends in glorification, that's when we literally will be together with God forever. And we'll do walks with God. Can you imagine? In fact, there's not days, there's not minutes, there's no time anymore. God created it, and literally eternity becomes all that it ever could be. Beyond what we could think, all we can think about is God. Because he's the only reason that we have life. Wow. And he decided before any of that was made that he loved us so much 
that he predetermined that Jesus Christ, God the Son, would die for us. Do you see what this is all rooted in? His love. That's why when we get to the, the last verses, I'll just, I'll just share this. We'll come back. We'll, I, I want to I hit it and then come back again. But did you notice it does not say, who shall separate us from Christ? Who shall separate us from God? doesn't say that. What does it say? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Because there is the, that's the connection. That's the motivation of everything that God has accomplished. Do you see the difference? It's not just being separated from him. You can't even be separated from the very thing that motivated him for us to be gained and joined together. His love. That is such a powerful statement. And to know that he did that before anything was made. Wow. And then let's continue. Now, I, I got, get a little off track. That never happens to me normally. Um, you can laugh now. And then, and moreover, verse 30, whom he did predestinate, those he also called. That is the effectual calling, calling them unto Jesus Christ. How, um, how does one come to Christ? How does one, uh, uh, what's the right word? I, I'm thinking of it in Romans chapter 10. Uh, let's go to Romans chapter 10. I'll find it real quickly. That's not quite right. Um, obviously, verse 13 was the one I was thinking. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, what's the other one? Um, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Where is that? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Okay, it'll come to me. Trust me, it will. But anyway, how does faith come? Is, is it, I mean, like I looked at it, couldn't read it? Is that what I was doing? Let me try it again. Let's try it again. Romans chapter 10. There it is. Dean is right. Verse 17. Sorry, Paul. It's a nice try. But 9 is really important. Let's read it too. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ... I'm sorry, the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That verse 9 is really, really cool because that's literally how you are in Christ right there. But let's go down to verse 17. So then faith, that's how you're saved, by, you're saved by grace through faith. Faith's very important. So then faith cometh, how? By hearing. And how? By hearing of the word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God literally to call you to himself. And I want to be called because we're not looking to be called, are we? You take a normal human being, what, are they, what do they know about God? What do they care about God? That would be zero, zeroness. In fact, it says we were dead in trespassing and sins, Ephesians chapter 2. But he has called us by faith through the word of God. And those that confess the Lord Jesus Christ, those are saved. But let's keep going back to Romans chapter 8. And the next word we find is those that he called them, all of them, not half of them. I always, want, I always point that out. Not half of them, but all of them he also justified. That's the position. If you're justified here today, that means that you've trusted Christ. And you're depending on him. You're believing in what the work that Jesus Christ did. You are now as you are declared not guilty. I love to be declared not guilty. Now, what's really important, this verse right here ties it all together in the sense of continuance perseverance that's the word we used last week it's not about just you know we talk about um, eternal security have you heard that term sure you have eternal security i think of it more like this way a christian's perseverance this life is not easy it's a bugger isn't it i mean and then you start to look at the future it looks uh, right almost a sigh but you know what that there's something that 
God is promising here in this passage is you will continue to persevere because God said it and what he says will happen. And in those five words, let's review them. Foreknew, predestinate, called, justified, and all of them, look at this now, verse 30, them he also justified and whom he justified, them he also glorified. There it is in five words, it's God's plan. Somebody wants to ask, what's God's plan for human, through the human race? What's God's plan for everything? It's right there. From his foreknowledge to glorification, everything is tied up right there. Why? Because he loved us. Those are the components of invincibility. You take any one of those five words out, and you know what? Invincibility is no longer there. But we have it now today, which we started on last week, is the challenges to invincibility. You mean there's challenges of invincibility? How many of you had challenges this week? It's easier if I ask. How many? Raise, raise your hand if you've had challenges this week. There we go. We've got some interaction going on now, right? What was, without going into necessarily anyone's particular details, what made them a challenge? What made them a challenge to you? Was it overwhelming? Overwhelming. That's actually, that, that's a word that I hear more and more. I, I use it more and more, isn't it? It's over the top. It's too much. Hey, I, want, I want Ryan to hold on to that word because when we get to the end of this today, there's going to be something that's really cool about that word and how we literally are invincible. But it is. Challenges are something that they come at us, and it's hard to handle. It's, it's, a, it, it's, again, another one? Are you kidding me? I did not see that coming. I mean, if you saw it coming, it was more, it was deeper, it was wider, it was, right? Those are challenges. Those are things that take us by storm. They, and as Ryan said, that word overwhelming, that if, would you not agree that probably in the last two to three months is a word that could be used almost universally? Whoa. It covers a lot of stuff, doesn't it? It really does. I'm over, and, I'm, and I'm overwhelmed by even some things that are taking place here today. And it, even in our country, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that there is not a military engagement that have, could have even possibly accomplished from a global situation to have locked down people. The army of fear, I'm calling it an army, has totally stifled the world. I'm overwhelmed by what is going on in our country domestically. To think that there are, and this is a little bit off subject, but it's, again, it all ties together in the sense that these are challenges. These are overwhelming things. To think that all of the produce from vegetables and fruits to beef to pork to chickens, all the things that people eat to survive to live. There's a huge disconnect today that we can't get it from production, which God has bountifully and gracefully given we can't get it to the consumer. That's overwhelming to me. I could not have ever imagined that. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's monstrous. I think, Paul, we were sharing uh, one, whatever a team, this team, I don't know how many were on it, but in Worthington, Minnesota, their job has been to kill and euthanize 13,000 pigs a day. A day. Right here in Walter's IGA store, in the, right here in town, they're not able to get any pork. Why are they euthanizing them? Because they can't sell them. So the price is going down. Well, they won't get anything. In fact, let's let's play that out. Here's the hog. Here's 
There's no place that will kill the pigs to process them. Smithfield, which is, I, I, I'm, I'm getting out on the branch when I get too far. Paul, just cut me off. I'll make it your responsibility, okay? <laughs> Smithfield, which is a corporation that, is, that deals mostly in processing hogs, have shut down almost every one of those facilities. They will, they will process, one of those will process up to 20,000 hogs per day. They're shut down. So the hog farmer that lives at home that's feeding these pigs, and you know what happens, that's a cycle that continues to go, okay? There's little ones, there's little bigger ones, there's bigger ones, and then there's those that need to go away, and they become food for, the, for our domestic population. There's nowhere for them to go. In fact, I think I'm right, correct me, Paul, but a farm in Minnesota couldn't find anywhere to have their hogs processed. They called into Wisconsin and said, would you take our hogs? They said, if you bring me a semi-load, which is probably 250 fat hogs, we will give you $25 a pig, which probably wouldn't even pay the freight. The next day they said, don't bring them because we don't want them at any price. This is maddening. One, lay one laying hen house, 61,000 laying hens were euthanized, couldn't sell the eggs, couldn't pay for the feed. This is in the United States of America. And yet there's places that are saying there's a shortage. That is absolutely correct. That's why right now, if you think of, should we, should we be talking about this right now? I think it's okay because it's overwhelming. We will see food shortages. You know what? I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying where we're at today in this pandemic is in the book of Revelation. I don't think it is. But it's a precursor to what's going to happen. And you start to read Revelation in the time period of the tribulation. It's going to look a lot like this, but way, 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 way worse. But to think, I, I, I'm still stunned by this. If somebody told me that we couldn't get the food that's produced here to the people that need it here, I wouldn't have believed that. Mike Walter told me two days ago that not only did he get any meat on the truck that came on Monday, the list for next week, every beef item was out of stock. Currently, we are one million head behind slaughtering beef cattle, finished, finished cattle, not, not cows and bulls. I'm talking about finished. Those cattle become steaks. Those are all the, we are one million head behind. Now, think about that. They get heavier, no place to go. What are we going to do with them? This is crazy. It's overwhelming. I like that word. You probably sell them off for a reasonable price to people around here that just want to slaughter them, right? Just for meat. In, in Montana, they have, they have loosened that somewhat. But for, look, I don't know if I should be doing this on tape, but it's okay. It's what it is. Because it's overwhelming. That's right. It's what it is. And, and I, I don't want to get too far away from the Bible, but it's overwhelming. It's, this is under overwhelming. This is the thing overwhelming. See, like to sell commercially to a grocery store, we're not able to do that as ranchers. Not even if it's state inspected. It's not good enough. It must be federally inspected. Do you know how many federal inspected processing plants there are in the state of Montana? There are five. And do you know how many of those are, they're probably locked tighter than you can imagine because other individuals are trying to lock in slots to be able to slaughter those animals just for them to eat. This is in America. You, 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 yes, you can slaughter it yourself. But for, for, to sell to a store, let's say, I've got, by the way, I'm, I'm trying to work my way through that because I'm concerned about our community. Can you believe that the local grocery store doesn't have the access? They're saying up to two months, not having any meat showing up on that truck. You must be kidding me. Yeah. You must be kidding me. But that's why, to me, it just blows my head wide open. I can't believe it. What's gone wrong?
Now, I could jump off on a political soapbox for just a second, but I won't. But if you, because uh, you guys do your own homework, but you, you slice in and you look at who owns the processors. Smithfield, who's the biggest hog killer in this, in the, in this United States, is owned by the Chinese. JBS, Brazilian owned. I'm here to say that we need to demand that our country for pharmaceuticals and for food, that is what we eat and what we treat with, need to be completely owned by American citizens. Period. This is the time we must raise up because I'm convinced that behind a, how could you weaken a people any more than what we're doing right now? And, and there are produce, I mean, thousands of acres of produce that are being plowed under. They can't get rid of it. They can't get processors to take it to the people that need it. Well, that goes with, with a lot of things, too, healthcare. Uh, all, all of it. But, this is, but now, this is what's really cool. This is, this is why we're still invincible. It's overwhelming, but we're still invincible. Why? Because there's something that happens when the Holy Spirit lives within us. We're going to come back to the Bible now. Okay, here we go. We're going we're to make a run back, okay? But what's really interesting is, is let's see, I'm going to be a little bit ahead of time, but it fits here. So let's, we're going to reverse it a little bit today. Let's go now to, to Romans chapter 8, and let's dive into verse 35. We're actually doing this in reverse, because what Paul is asking is these verses 31 through 35. And we need to write verse 31, read verse 31 to ourselves. Uh, my, my notes are not making any sense probably. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And we'd all answer, no one. No one. Okay. Now he, he goes on to say he's not good enough with that, even though you'd answer that. He wants to make sure that every situation and every personage, not just humans, but every person that... He, and, and verses 31 through 35 is 34 is talking about persons, people, Satan, all of the things that would be a personage. And then from 35 to 39, he talks about circumstances. He talks about things that are things that are coming at us. Even though verse 35 it says who it should say what shall separate us from the love of Christ. We talked about that for a moment. It's about the love of Christ. Look at the first one he uses: shall tribulation. Tribulation, separate us from the love of Christ. The answer is no. The word in the Greek is thalipsis. Sounds like I've got a lisp. I do. It's thalipsis. Okay? And that means to be pressure or affliction or what we would say outward difficulty. What we just described, those, 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 what our circling of reasoning and thought process and discussion, it's a lot about outward difficulty, isn't it? But what does the Bible say? What does... Uh, What's our response to tribulation? If the Holy Spirit lives within you, do you know what? You get stronger. Through It'll make us better. Now, we don't sign up for it. You don't go to tribulation 102. That's further along than 101, just for you those who are keeping track. But tribulation, who, who would sign up for tribulation? Who would go to college and take a class in tribulation? I want to do that one. I, I hope you charge me twice as much for it because I really want to have tribulation. That's craziness. And you know what? It makes us stronger. In fact, let's, let's read through this list. I don't know where we're going to go today. I can tell. This is going to be one of those days. I don't know where we're going to end up. And I promise we'd be done. So I don't know. I'm going to promise that. But beyond that, I don't know where we're going to get or how we're going to get there. It says in verse 35, shall tribulation, that's outward difficulty. The next word he has are distress. Distress is inward difficulty. It's like being squeezed into a narrow space. How many of you have uh, claustrophobia? 
Now you don't need to raise your hand because that would put you in a tight spot. I don't want that to happen. So, but, okay, you're just going to come right out with it. It's even worse, isn't it? It really is. In, in, fact, in fact, that's what makes it even, even over the top, overwhelming. I'm going to keep using that word because it's just such a big deal. But distress is that inward difficulty. So we have tribulation, which is outward difficulty. Distress is inward difficulty. Okay? Now, he talks about those two things. Then he goes on and he says, the next word he uses is persecution. Persecution. That's abuse, if you will. There's plenty of that going on in our world today. Or famine. Or nakedness, or peril. Peril is a word for being exposed to treachery or to danger, or sword. And look at verse thirty-seven. Ah, I can't do that yet. That's a really big verse for us later in the later in the lesson today. But think of those things. Just those words. What do you get from a, from that? How many would sign up for any one of those? How many want any one of those? No, you're crazy if you do. You, you need help if you want to, if you if you want that stuff. But let me tell you something. I'm going to read something for you now. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse, let's see, 2 Corinthians 11, verse, let me me look. I'll find it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. We're going to start there at verse 23. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 23. Now, Paul is getting personal with us, and he's writing this in regards to himself. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft of the Jews. Five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Now, that's being beaten within the, in the very inch of your life. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. That was how the Romans did it. Once I was stoned. How many of you have been stoned? Nobody? Oh. Not only was he stoned, he was left for dead. Three times I suffered shipwreck. That sounds like a pleasant experience. How many of you have been on a ship? (laughs) Now you're thinking shipwreck. No, you're okay. You made it. But on three occasions, Paul... Suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. That's, that's crazy, right? I mean, out in the... In journeyings, verse 26, often. In perils. Remember that word of perils? In danger of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils by my own countrymen. In fact, his countrymen wanted to kill him. He was let down by a basket one time and out of their sight to get away from them. People wanted to kill him. In perils in the city. In perils in the... I'm sorry, I missed one. Perils my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in the da- I'm going to use the word, in danger in the wilderness, in danger in the sea, in danger among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Sounds like he's the right man to write Romans chapter 8, isn't it? And then really cool, oh, and I, don't, don't. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back to where you're at. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And you turn over to chapter 12. Just probably just go flip. And Oops, I'm in 1 Corinthians. Don't do what I'm doing. Just do what you're, what you're told. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just flip it over, probably one page, and you're in chapter 12. Let's watch this. 
Verse 7, chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. Lest I, Paul, should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. I'll just bring this quickly to speed. If you were going to read verses 1 through 6, you would find that Paul had the opportunity in a vision to literally be in heaven and to see things that probably no one had ever seen. What would you think that would do? How would you think those meetings would go? Here's an advertisement. Paul to speak on heaven. I want to go, right? In fact, there would have been, and even though it wouldn't have been something that he maybe would have uh, promoted, just having known that, right? And watch, that's what he's saying now. Verse 7, lest they would be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. Verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, when you go through tribulations and you are a saved, you are a saved person, when you have trusted Christ as Savior, guess what? Tribulations will make you stronger. That's a fact. Let me show you an example of where there isn't, where that doesn't work that way. And you say, well, oh, let's see, how am I going to do Let's go back to Matthew chapter 13. Lots of things rolling in my mind. Lord God, take control of this right now. You, want, you take us where you want us. Matthew chapter 13. And let's look now at verse 1. Now, this is the parable of the sower. Okay? Remember that one? So one of the things that we talk about when you think about, uh, I'm going to just say a few things as we, before we go there. If you think about perseverance or continuance of, of the Christian, and that's continuing from justification to glorification. Now, there's a step that we leave out that God leaves out because there's nothing to talk about. If you're justified, if you're declared not guilty, God is saying because of that, you will be glorified. Now, for us, this walk that seems like, oh, it's so overpoweringly overwhelming at times, it's called sanctification. It's this daily march forward and then a little bit back and forward and back a little. And we just keep moving because the Spirit is living within us and we're going from justification to glorification, that sanctification process. And sometimes it's just so overwhelming. And I totally lost where I was going to take you next. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 13, right where you're at. And let's look at this, this, the parable of the sower. And what we're looking for is we're going to unfold this and we're going to see how some responded to tribulation. The same day Jesus went, went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now that's an interesting thing, isn't it? They're crowding on him so much, he's got to get in a ship or a boat, and he's drifted out, and they're coming as far as they can, and then he talks to them. You think they want to listen to him? I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. He spoke many things, verse 3, unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they spread up because they had no deepness of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. And the other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, 
some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, when the disciples came and said, why, why speakest thou in parables? In fact, that would have went like zoom. <laughs> what are we talking about seeding stuff for? What, what, we're in a boat. We're talking to people. What's the parable thing going on, right? Okay, now watch. We're going to skip ahead. You can read for yourself later this afternoon. But here he, in verse 18, he unfolds the parable of the sower. Verse 18, hear you therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. And you know people like that. The gospel, the word of God is, is, is put out there. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's shared, and guess what? Some of them... In fact, Satan is very obviously involved in trying to steal the word from many people. That's one of the things that's happened in our country over the last number of years. There's a lot of people don't even really know. if, if They don't even know what a Bible is. This is not a Bible. This is a hymn book, but I'm just holding it up. They don't even know what a Bible is. They've never even cracked it. They wouldn't even know what one looks like. What happened? Just subtly those changes have taken place. We've slipped away. In fact, Romans, that's, that's why for your own reading the tonight, Romans chapter 1. We need to read that regularly. Romans chapter 1 beginning verse 18 through the end of the chapter. It tells us what's happening in our nation today. This is how we've gotten to the position that we're in. Romans chapter 1. Well, I'm not going to read it now, but just write it down in your notes and read it later. But he is actively trying to take and steal the gospel. Now, let's keep going. Verse 20. But he that received the seed into stony places... The same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Sounds like a great idea. Yet hath, not, hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when, see the word? For when tribulation or persecution arises, because of the word, by and by he is offended. You see that? Okay. When tribulation comes, and someone doesn't know Christ, does not have the Holy Spirit living within them, and that's, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit absolutely guarantee lives within you. We'll go to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Don't let me forget that. Romans chapter, we'll come Romans chapter 8, verse 11. We want to come back to that. But this person doesn't have Christ living within them. It just sounded like a great idea. Someone has said, well, I'm a Christian because I'm American. Really? What does that mean? Not much. But did you see it? Tribulation, persecution, and they turned away. That is absolutely, and while we read this, that is absolutely 180 degrees off of what Paul is saying, that literally can anything, persecution or tribulation, keep you from the love of Christ? No. In fact, Paul says, look at his life. If you guys think you've had a rough day, just read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses about 26 through 36, and you say, I don't have nothing to talk about. And you know what he said? That God's, I'm sorry, God's strength is stronger when I am weak. When you go through some really tough times, when tribulation is on steroids, and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, do you know what it does? He, the Holy Spirit, makes you stronger, not because of you, but because of Him living within you. And that's when we can say, as it says in James, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials and temptations because that's how patience comes. Now, beware. Did anyone, was anyone foolish? I mean, was anybody praying for patience this morning? It'll take trials. It'll take tribulations. It'll take distress to bring that out because that's the only way the Holy Spirit can make it better. Do you see the difference? 
That's not, and you know what? That's all part of invincibility. Not tough times has nothing to do with invincibility. Nothing. In fact, we'll get it, not even death. Death has nothing to do with invincibility because it's the eternal lens that you're looking through. It's not through physical life we're looking at. That's where we get in trouble. That's where we get in trouble is because we look at the things of success through the eyes of this life. You can't possibly see invincibility through the eyes of this life. It's impossible. You must look through it of a sovereign, omnipotent God that has promised Christian perseverance, invincibility, or what's the other word we could use? Perseverance. Because he said it. And it's in, remember those five words? There's no way that you can get anyone or anything in between those five words to thwart God's plan. There's no way. You cannot get from foreknowledge to predestination to calling to justification to glorification. There's no person, there is no thing that can literally get in and thwart God's plan or purpose if you're there. That's exciting to me. Because there are overwhelming problems. We just discussed for a few moments here just in this session today. I don't, have, I don't know how to fix that. But I look at it from the outside and I say, God help us. That's what we need to do at a nation's level. When our leaders in Congress and our president and his staff and his cabinet and all of those get together on bended knee in a room and say, God help us. You know what he'll do? He'll help us. <laughs> until, to, until that happens... Do you see where we're at? We've lost our way as a nation. And yet, if we're in Christ, we are invincible. George Washington, as he led those troops, commander-in-chief shouldn't have had a prayer against the English. Not a chance. But you know what? He was invincible because he trusted God for everything. And we could go on battle after battle after battle. There wasn't, shouldn't, have, shouldn't have ever made it. Why? Because <laughs> he trusted. I'm not just he, but our, our forefathers trusted God. What do we need to do in America? We need to trust God. And the really cool thing is, is it's, if you're in Christ, you are invincible. There's nothing, there's not one thing, not so, one circumstance that can thwart his plan. And we're kind of moving at a, if you watch, if you looked at my notes right now, it's not working. It's not working right now, but that's okay, right? Let's go back to, that's, that's what we're praying for. In fact, did you hear me? I just said, God, take us where you want us. That's where I want to be. I don't care where I want to be. I want to be where he wants us to be because that's where we're going to see him more clearly. We'll never see him more clearly than if we follow him where he's at. But let's go back. Let's try in verse 31 through 35. It talks about the sense of persons that could maybe, what shall we say, that could thwart God's plan. He, he asked this again, verse 31, we've said it a number of times. What shall we say then to these things? Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. Look at verse 32. This is very, very important. He, that's God, that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, again, we, we just briefly touched on this last week, but there's a sense of arguing from the, the biggest or the greatest to the lesser. So let's think about this. And there's a question that he's taught, what are these things? All of those things are those five words from God's foreknowledge to glorification. You know those five words. And then the other thing is, how can all things work together for, our, for the good of those that love God? Those things is what he's talking about. Those things. 
So how, how, can, how can that keep going? How, how can it work that way? And he starts off this way. He says, well, just a second. Just hang on, guys. I'm already anticipating what you may be asking. If you're asking if God can continue and complete what he started, then let's start off and see what he's accomplished already that we know of. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins. I would say that's huge. I would say that's really, really big. I vote, yay, God, right? And he did it. What does it say in the scriptures? I think it's 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. He loved us before we loved him. It wasn't like, oh, look at those people down there. Aren't they doing a nice job? Jesus, I think you're going to have to go down there and look at them. They're really good people. No, that wasn't the deal. There was nothing. There was no merit. There was zero. There was no interest. Think of even the Jews with Jesus Christ. Oh, they got it wrong. That's what the tribulation period is for. You know what? In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's what he said to the Jews. He hasn't given up on them. He just set them aside. Thank goodness. None of us would be here in this room would probably know about Jesus if the Jews hadn't set him aside. They set him aside first. Uh, Matthew chapter like 24 says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, that I would have as a mother hen gathered you as my chicks. But you would not. And from that point on, because we, being Gentiles, have had the opportunity to experience the grace by faith alone in Christ alone, feeling his love, because the Jews set him aside. Thank you to the Jews. But in the seven-year period, which probably isn't too far off, that tribulation period, which ranges from Revelation chapter 4 to verse 19, that's all about the tribulation. That's all it's about. And it's a nasty, nasty, troublesome time. If you think what we're experiencing right now is problems, it's not worth, you can't even, it's not like scratching the book. Overwhelming. Again, that word is so pertinent. But the very fact is because God promised the Israelites, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That seven years, he's going to finally get them to see Jesus for who he is. That day will be an unbelievable day for them finally to get it. That their Messiah not only had come, he still is their Messiah. That's what that's all about. And you, can you just see this? You can see, as, as it says in Matthew, the birth pangs. A little more, a little more, a little faster, a little more, a little faster, a little more. A little. That's where we're at today. I'm convinced that's where we're at. You see it around us in every conceivable way that we're approaching those last days. And we are still, use the word, invincible. Praise God, we are invincible. Now, he's asking the question, Paul is, can anyone actually keep us from the love of God? And he starts off by saying, if I sent Jesus Christ to take away your sin, don't you think I could give you all the necessary things to keep you safe in Jesus? That's what he's literally saying. And he gives them to us freely. Mark that. Take your, take your scriptures. You're probably there already. Romans chapter 8. And let's look again at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, if he did the big stuff, why wouldn't he finish the job? Why would he essentially give Jesus Christ to pay for our sins and then somehow let it just fall into the, into the cracks? Of course not. Of course not. He wouldn't do that. Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? What does that mean? Or verse 34, who is he that condemneth? Who's he talking about? 
Well, think of, think of some of those. Now, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of persons that are trying to separate us from the love of God. There are a lot of them. Even think about in the Scriptures and in Galatians. You remember the problem that Paul sat down and it was the first New Testament book written, the book to the Galatians. And if that wasn't precursor for what was coming, I'll tell you what, I never... You remember what that was about? What was going on? The Galatians... Yeah, they were adding on to it. And, and they were taking away their freedom. What was that group's name? What was their name? The Judaizers. There were Jews that said, yeah, you can have Jesus, but don't forget, I mean, to be circumcised and to keep the law is really, well, it's actually, it's okay to have Jesus, but it's, you, you got to have them both. That's a sense we could call legalism. Now, could they steal or could they take away that perseverance, a continuation of someone that accepted Christ? Could they take it away? The answer is no. No. Once they're in Christ, that's why, I'm, I'm convinced that's why God had Paul write the letter to the Galatians to get it lined out. God takes care of things that need to be taken care of. How about someone, there's, there's, there's churches or organizations that will excommunicate people. Okay? Can excommunication remove the love of God from, no. Not a chance. Can't happen. He's more powerful than any of that. Think, how about Satan? How about Satan? Or let's even say, there's, how about yourself? That's an important consideration. There's a lot of people that really are, they're almost weighed down with that. In other words, if I decide something would happen to me and there's something, maybe it's that circumstance, that tribulation. I'd say there's a lot of people that you get a lot of stuff coming. And you have bad moments. Of course you do. I could name in my own life. It just hits you like a ton of bricks. And you say, Right? Yeah, there's moments. I get that. But to think, well, what if I get it wrong? I, can, I mean, if I turn my back on God, no. No, no, no. Remember, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Know you not. You are not your own. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. Isn't that cool? I, when, you give, when you give possession, he's not ever giving up. It's the seal unto the day of redemption. Not until you discard him, grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. Those are two things that is talked about in the scriptures. I'm not saying that, you would want to th- that you're not, you're not going to thrive when you do that, but he's not kicking you to the curb. He's going to complete what he started. These are all things that we should have hallelujahs and amen because God, it's not based on us. It's based on what God said, and it's rooted in his love. That's what I love about chapter 8 of of Romans. It all talks about this, separating us not from Christ, not from God, but from the love, which is the motivation for all of this to even be a conversation to begin with. It's so powerful. So powerful. Satan, what does he do? What's What's he doing right now? He's accusing. He loves to accuse. He loves to tear down. First of all, his idea is to get you to sin. And he's really not working on those that are lost. Those that don't know Christ, see, they're lost. I mean, they can't even see. I mean, they're blind. That's what the scriptures say. They're blinded. He has blinded their eyes. Remember how he beguiled Eve? What did he do? He got her to look at something that totally distracted her and allowed her to miss out and focus on God. See, Antichrist is not so much against God, anything other than God. He's a master at it, and he loves to accuse. First of all, he tries to get you to sin. Oh, nobody will know. Do it. Do it. Don't feel good about yourself. It's all about you. To be happy. Then after you do it, you slime ball. Did you see what you just did? Look in the mirror. You are a loser. And then he's marching around in heaven. He did this with Job, didn't he? Remember? This is interesting. 
What was Satan's real plea? What was his thing for God? What did he tell God about Job? Let's just, let's break this down. Let's unpack this and take it, because he's doing the same thing to you and to many others. He did it to Peter. He did it to Paul. Look at all of those things that Paul talked about. Remember that? Tri I mean, that's tribulation on steroids, people, right? Who do you think was behind a lot of that? In fact, where was that messenger from Satan, wasn't it, that God allowed that? What? To, for Paul's good. He used Satan for his good. Jesus Christ was turned over really to the sentence of death, which Satan has wielded until that day, three days later actually, and Satan fell right in the hands of God. He thought if he killed that Savior, didn't have to listen anymore to him, watch him walk around this earth, and you know what he did? He fell right into the hands. In fact, it says God gave him the Son in verse, verse uh, chapter 8, what verse was that? 30. Three, thirty-four. Anyway, God not, did not spare his son, gave them, gave him. Jesus didn't fall prey to the, to the religious leaders. He walked into that knowingly, endured the cross even for the joy, it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Amazing. Satan didn't have any part of it. And yet Satan used death as this wielding tool that he has literally scared and manipulated people for, for a long, long time. And now, after he gets someone to show, or once he gets them to sin, he accuses them. In fact, let's go to Revelation chapter 12 for a moment. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Revelation 12, 10. Revelation 12, verse 10. Now, again, we're talking about a, a time during the tribulation, but it also allows us to see what the great... Well, let's just start in verse 7. Revelation 12, 7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the... You know what? I asked you a question and didn't answer. Did you notice that? Let's, let's read this. And then, Paul, it's going to be your responsibility to come back. And, because I asked you a question about Job. What was it that Satan really wanted to do with Job? Okay? Just, we'll come back to that in just a second. Verse 7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. The great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world... He was cast out in the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Watch verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God. Did you see it? Day and night. He is so actively engaged in trying to accuse who? The brethren. He could care less about the ones that don't know God. He's trying to destroy your testimony. That's what he did with Peter. Remember, the Lord Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. In fact, that's what Jesus is doing. As Satan is accusing, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for you. Can you think of anything better? There's only one thing else that goes with that. Remember in verse 26 we read today, Romans chapter 8? What is the Holy Spirit doing that lives within you? He's interceding for you. He knows how to pray for you when you don't. Have you had those days where you don't even know what to pray? I can tell you, if you're a Christian and you've trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit is doing your praying for you because he knows how to do it. And you know where he's perfectly centered in the will of God. He knows what is exactly the best for you to be what? Purpose of God? To be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't this great stuff? And it's all because God said it. All because he said it. Now, Paul, what was your assignment? What, what did Satan want to do with Job? Yeah, what, what ultimately, what did Job really want to get done? Think about it hard now, because it's the same thing as with us. You know what he wants to do? He's never going to be successful 
because Romans chapter 8 makes it abundantly clear that he does not have the power to do that. You know what he wanted to do? He wanted to steal Job's faith. He says, God, if you didn't treat him so good, he wouldn't trust you. You just treat him like a little, well, you coddle him, you take care of him, you give him all this stuff, and everything's rosy-posy. You take his stuff away, and he'll curse you. What was he trying to do? Tribulation, what, right? Think about it. Tribulation in Job's life, what did he hope it would do? Just like he does to us. He thinks and hopes that he can steal your faith. God said he can't do it. It's impossible. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's what tribulations, that's the intention is to set, it makes us look, and I've asked that question. God, what are you doing? Do you not love me? Has that entered out of your mouth? It's in your head, I'll bet. And you know what? That's a lie from Satan. That's a total lie. Because God has just told us there's nothing, tribulation, distress. I'm going to really key on those two. Outward difficulties or inward difficulties. Distress is inward. Tribulation is outward. That kind of covers it for me. Those things literally in Paul's eyes, which was in, having all of those things being engaged in his life, he said, because when I'm weak, then I'm made strong because God the Holy Spirit is able, with, when dwelling me, can make me everything I need to be. Therefore, I will glory in what? My infirmities. Praise God. It's the same with us. Now, again, we don't sign up for it, but when it comes your way, you know what? I can, be, I can guarantee you this. If you're in Christ, he will not only get you through it, he will make you Better and more like his son, Jesus Christ, because that's his full purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 20. Those two verses, I really want you guys to memorize them or at least really get the grip. That's what God's purpose is for all of us, is to conform us to the image of his son, and he does it through his plan, which is foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. That's the whole plan. Isn't that beautiful? And it cannot be thwarted. Satan, as the accuser of the brethren, wants to just viciously Take and steal your faith. And God says, no, no, no. Cannot happen. Cannot happen. How about God? What if God changed his mind? Can God? In other words, he, <laughs> you know, remember in chapter 6 of Genesis? Man, it looked like the world was a wreck, right? All they could think about was doing more evil. And God would say, oh, what have I done? What did he do? There's Noah and his family, and he purges the earth. He starts over again. Where do you think he is today? <laughs> if it was me, I'd want to start back over. But you know what? He, we're, how are we held? We're held by the power of his love. His love is the motivation for him to sustain us, to help us persevere, and to literally continue on to the very end. It's not about us. If it was up to us, then you'd have to say, well, what part of us saved us? And that's where it's a big fat zero. So if you couldn't save yourself, how could you possibly keep yourself? The big problem was getting yourself saved, right? And God took care of that. Why wouldn't he be able to take care of whatever else was there? That's the whole thing that Paul is laying out for us here. Very, very strong position. Very strong position. Romans 8, verses 29, verses 29 and 30. That, to me, just is so, succinct, so succinctly allows us to see God's purpose and his plan for mankind. It's so, and, then, and then the other part of that, to follow up with that, Ryan, 
is then part of that is go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and read verses 4 and verse 5 with that, and it tidies it all together because then what you see is you see God's love just so enriching because he determined to do this before there was a universe, before there was time, before there was matter, before there was anything that we know of being what we are perceived of seeing or knowing. Before that, he determined by his love to do exactly what's happening right now. And that's the other reason for me. If he decided to do that then, why would I think he couldn't finish what he started? There is not a single possible reason. But now, I don't even know what time it is, but I, it feels like we've been going on here for a while. Let's go to, uh, I want to, this thought just came to mind. Romans chapter 4, let's look at verse 25. This ties in with uh, what the power of the big part, if you will. Verse 25 Verse 25 of chapter 4, it says, Who, this is Jesus, who was delivered. I like that word delivered. It was intentional. It was something that God had planned for our offenses, for our sins, and was raised again for our justification. That's why I've said this, I've said this a lot of times, and I, I believe it from the bottom of my mind. If I wasn't convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, because died for our sins, but what made it real and the stamp of approval was when God, and it says the Holy Spirit, in fact, remember that verse? I uh, remember, it, uh, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Watch this. This is the part that sometimes we miss in the sense of the power of the Spirit. Uh, verse 11, chapter 8 of Romans. We looked at it at True Seekers on, on Thursday night. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, dwell in you. Who is that spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and he dwells in us. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or bring alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. That's, the, that's ultimately what glorification is. That same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, which that was the stamp of approval, boom, now we know beyond the shadow of a doubt because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only my sins paid for in full, but literally we can be justified because that was a holy, righteous, the Son of God. 100% man, 100% God. He accomplished it and we proved it by his resurrection. That's massive. And that's because, and, and because of that, all of these things are following along God's line just perfectly click, 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 click. And right now, if you're justified, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, can you, did you see how many steps you're already through? You got through foreknowledge. You got through predestination. You got through calling, the effectual calling. You were justified. There's only one piece left. And it's just as sure as we're sitting here today. Isn't that, that is awesome stuff. Now, let's go to verse 37 of Romans. This seems like a good place for us to land right now. However, however, before we do that, don't do that. Stop for a moment. Let's just stop for a moment. One of the things that, that we usually get hung up on, or are, are maybe we, it's easy to get hung up on, is we say, well, okay, that's good. Paul has really done a nice job of laying out for us that there's no person, not even God himself, because what he promised to do, he cannot lie. He cannot change his mind. Aren't you glad God can't change his mind? I am so thankful. See, that's the difference, and I say it a number of times, and I'm sorry to say it again, but I'll, no, I'm not, actually. Allah, the God that the Muslims worship, and it's all about works. It's all about a, a program there, right? Allah in the, what's their scripture? The Quran, the Quran, uh, 
their God, Allah, which is not like our God. I want to make that very clear. They are not the same God. Allah literally can abrogate or change his mind. Ay, 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 ay. Right? What if you were one of those warriors of 911? And Allah, a couple million years down the road, says, you know, I don't think I'm going to do it that way anymore. I couldn't worship a God like that. Not one that didn't know everything to know that he'd never change his mind. Do you see the significance of that? Ah, I love it. But where was I going with that now? Thankfully, he can't. And I don't know what... I lost my mind right now, so... <laughs> where were we at? Where were we at in the Bible? Where did, I, where did we have you? Oh, I said don't go... Where, oh, I know, I know why. I know why. I know why. Here we go. I'm back to it. Thank you. Thank you for reeling it back yet. Okay. One of the things that we, that we struggle with in the sense of our... I'm going to say our security, our perseverance, our invincibility, the sense of continuing to the end, right? Those things. The things that sometimes hinder us is the fact we can think of somebody said they were a Christian and you see them ambling off and not to, didn't really see them return. And, and that bothers us, right? It should. But that's not a God problem. Because what God said in his word, we are following through exclusively and completely what God promised he can not do anything other than to fulfill because it's based upon his very nature and character. And God cannot lie. The problem is, I think probably the clearest we can find is to go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. 1 John chapter 2. This describes for us situations that oftentimes we don't know, and I'm not trying to get in anyone's head, because we don't know this. This is, it, this is between God and an individual. Let's look at verse 18. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Now, John being the apostle that, got, that Jesus loved, they were very close, very intimate. Little children, verse 18, it is the last time, and as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Isn't that interesting? Just think about that for a second. Just think about that for a second. When did, when did John write 1 John? I don't know right off the top of my head. I'm going to say like, what, 70, 80 AD probably? I'm going to be close. I, I, I won't miss it by 100 years. I know that much. So, so think about that. AD, before the first century after Christ was, they were already expecting Jesus to come back. Every generation, really, literally, has been, and that's what we're supposed to do. Lord Jesus, come quickly. We should be looking for him. Anyone that is not looking for Jesus probably is not saved. I want to be with my Jesus. I yearn for his coming. Everyone should. Everyone should that trust Christ. And here he is in this, in this early date. He says, well, the Antichrist is surely to come soon. Okay, let's keep watching. Verse 18 continues. Even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. They went, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. In other words, it would appear that these that he's speaking of would have acted, spoke, looked like fellow Christians, right? Okay, let's keep going. But they went out of, from us because they were not of us. For if they had been not of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. Did you see it? And then it goes on. But they went out that they might be made manifest or to be shown that they were not of 
us. The question is not whether God can keep us. The question is, are they with us? Because if all of those that are in Christ are absolutely safe because God proclaimed it to be that way. That is so... I'm, I'm so glad. But if you think about it, how could it be any other way? Because if we could save ourselves, then we could lose ourselves. But otherwise, it, couldn't, it doesn't even make any sense. Okay, now, we were going to go to verse 37 next, right? Chapter 8. Let's do that, and I think we're going to... I won't say anything yet, but I think we're going to wrap it up. But Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Now, before you read that, don't do that just yet. Just about. We're just about there. The word that I keep coming back to, which, which Ryan has brought to us, is the sense a lot of the days we've, we're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed. And we talked about some situations. And there's many others. There's, you could go on for a long time. And you know what? You could just become overwhelmed and filled with all kinds of things other than what God wants us to do. Well, God wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son. What we should be doing all day long is figuring out how could we become more... Um, that's right. A shape. How, how could we be more malle ma malleable? There we go. There we go. More malleable for God to literally just shape us, conform us to Jesus. That's what we should, that's, our lives should just be consumed with that. How could I look more like Jesus? Philippians chapter 2. I want you guys to read Philippians chapter 2 this week. Feeling the mind be in you that was in Christ. Humbleness and meekness and gentleness. All of those things that literally make a huge difference in the world. And I, boy, I'll tell you what. I could have used a lot of that all week long. More gentleness, more meekness. And that thought just escaped. Um, oh, yeah. Overwhelming challenges, overwhelming tribulations, overwhelming all of that stuff coming in. You know what he's going to tell us in verse 37? You're going to be overwhelmingly a conqueror. You're going to be more than a conqueror. Let's read it together. Verse 37. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More than conquerors. Overwhelmingly conquering. I was looking for, where did I have that? Somewhere. Get it? Where did I write it down? Okay, I've got to keep moving. Oh, yeah. There, okay, there it is. When you see more than conquerors, have you ever seen that word hyper? Which is what I've probably been acting like in the last hour. Just, there's so much stuff in my head, I want to get it out, right? Hyper is over the top. Yes, Larry, that's you. You are over the top. Hyper are over the top victorious. More than conquerors, more than victors. You've, you've seen that, those shoes, you know, the Nikes or whatever? I don't know if they're good, bad, or indifferent, but it literally means victory. And we're hyper-victorious. Not do we just come through tribulation, all of those things that he named, all of those personages that are trying to keep us away from the love of Christ. We are more than conquerors because of the love of Christ. That is fantastic news. And we need that today. We need to remind ourselves of all that God has promised and that he cannot break a promise. Ah, right? What do you think? Praise God. Hallelujah. In fact, let's read the last two verses as basically a, uh, a doxology. 
Let's keep, let's keep reading verses 38, 39. For I am persuaded, that word be convinced, Paul. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, those would be, if you will, the demons, the other angelic forms, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. I think of that, nor things to come. I ran into a lot of people through a week. It's amazing how fear entrenches people about things they, first of all, can't do anything about, let alone know about. And my Bible just tells me it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's coming. It doesn't matter what's here. It doesn't matter what's behind me. If I'm in Christ, I and you are invincible. Do you guys like that word, or you just seem tentative? <laughs> I'll keep moving. I'll keep moving. I'll be quiet. Nor height, nor depth. Okay, stop. think of that. I don't have my facts in front of me, but do you guys know how far and how wide the universe is? It's big. It's ginormous. That's the biggest word I can think of right now. How high is it? It's way out there. In fact, the word that's used is that of a star. In the height of a star. And they go out there a long ways. Or the depth. Bathos is the name, is, is the Greek word there. Can't imagine anything deeper. Think of that. As big a scale and dimension as you could possibly even imagine, and then take that times the biggest number that you can imagine, times that the biggest number you can imagine. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let's keep going. Nor any other creature. If I left, if if I left anything else out, not even that can keep us. I'm sorry, to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just think of that for a moment. That's what, I guess that's the thought I want to leave with you. If you're in Christ, do you know God's love? You are literally held firmly, completely, and eternally in his awesome arms of love. You cannot be separated from the love of Christ, of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That is something that you continually can remind yourself of, and that's the thing that the enemies, it might even be unsaved family members, it may be anyone that is apart from that that doesn't know it, that is constantly just overworking that. And you continue to remind yourself, nothing, 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 nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing it to life. Thanking for opening the scriptures so that we can see you just a little clearer. And Father, we can almost taste of your eternal glory, just what you'd want. Thank you for Paul in writing these words as he was in Corinth writing to the Romans. And now these many, many years later, how fresh your word is. It's living. It's powerful. Cuts to the center of our heart right where we live, right where we breathe, the things that make us who we are, Father, nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You accomplished the big work before the foundation of the world, before anything was made that was made, before there was time, before there was matter, before there was anything but, but you. You had already determined in your foreknowledge, because of your foreknowledge, that Jesus Christ, God's, God the Son, would pay the price to finish the plan. And here we are on the cusp. Father God, I know, I know because of the word, we're not, we're not long from being with you. 
I can't wait for not long from being with you. Thank you, Father, for being so tenacious to following through what you've promised. As Paul said, I am convinced, I am convinced there's nothing that can separate us. Father, we praise you. We raise hosannas to the highest. You are worthy of our praise. You deserve our honor. And Jesus Christ, our perfect, willing sacrifice. As we imputed our sin to Him, that is put to His account, and You, Father, were so kind and so gracious as to impute His righteousness to our account. And when Satan accuses us, when Satan is on his rant of how horrible and truly wretched that we are as sinners, which is true, Jesus Christ, who is interceding for us, He's our defense attorney sitting at the right hand of You, Father. He says, oh no, oh no. He says, they're in me, they're in Christ. I paid for those sins. And God is continuing to work and to conform them to the image of myself. No, I know them. I love them. Nothing can separate me from them. Thank you, Father, for those words. Thank you for the study that we've had in regards to the Holy Spirit. And may it have touched many people so that they know the power that lives within us. Because if we're in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Amazing gift that you have given for us. And he's not going anywhere. As you said, he's a seal unto the day of redemption. The day when glorification is ultimately finalized. When your plan is complete, we'll be together with you forever. All because of what you've accomplished in Christ. Now, Father, we please accept our praise and our worship, our honor, and our thanksgiving for giving us the Word of God for us to contemplate to meditate and literally to change us in becoming more and more like your son. And it's in his name we'll pray. Amen.